I learned that I'm resilient. I, I didn't know how resilient I was until, you know, going through that and, and really being able to kind of feel what I was feeling as it related to the world and myself and my family and being able to translate that into songs. And because I wasn't sure whether I was ever going to be able to perform again, there was this sense of I'm making this creative for myself. And so it was good because it was like, I don't care if people don't like it. I don't really care. This is what I had to say. I'm very grateful and lucky that I was able to say it in song. And it was enough for me. Welcome. I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. This episode is a little different than usual, and I'm sure you will enjoy it. One of my goals in this show is to keep myself honest and deliver the same amount of transparency and openness that I expect from my guests. To that end, every once in a while, I go a little bit out of format and create episodes where you can learn about me. For instance, you can go back to episodes 20 and 21 to hear my story and my approach to leadership. Also, at the end of every episode, I play music by my wife, who now you know as one of Boston's Americana singer-songwriters, Susan Cattaneo. In episode 36, I interviewed her about her career shifts and what it is like to work with this spouse since I manage her. At the end of that episode, I promise a follow-up where we go deep into her actual music. This is the beginning of that follow-up a two-episode series about the making of her record All Is Quiet, which was released in April of this year. This is not necessarily an interview because as her manager, I was heavily involved in the process, so you will actually hear more of a conversation. In this part one, we will talk about the production process and begin discussing some of the songs. Part two, which will come in a bit, will focus on the rest of the songs. I hope you love what you hear. And if you do, Susan's music is on all streaming services, it is for sales on Bandcamp, and you can go to her site, susanmusic.com. One final thing. Remember, I am giving away a free copy of Bill Principali's book, Improvisational Leadership, to my favorite review for the show, written in June or July. So go to Apple Podcasts and leave your review to have a chance of getting a free copy of this fabulous book. Enjoy. Let's talk about All Is Quiet. And let's start with you know, the type of record that it is. Well, so what's so interesting is that you have been part of all the records that I have ever made in my life. And the one before this one was a double album called The Hammer and the Heart. And The Hammer was the electric side and The Heart was the acoustic side. And it was this huge undertaking and I produced it myself and it featured 41 different musicians, engineers, studios. Like it was just this, this huge kind of celebration of collaboration and making music with people that I love. But it was a lot. <laughs> and when I finished it, I really wanted to pare down whatever the next project was going to be. So I knew that sonically, I wanted to kind of peel back all of the layers and have it be as as vulnerable and as simple as as I could make it. Yeah, I had like, I remember a conversation sometimes maybe in early 2019, when we were starting to think about the next record. And I remember sitting there, it's like, you know, the last record, it took us six months to record it. We had like five studios, people over there. Like, I remember 
told me, you know, for this record, let's just get two guitar players, a studio, and we'll just do it in three days in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was so funny because normally when I record an album, as you know, unfortunately, so just a little side thing. So Dino's job as my manager is to help all of the different steps that have to go into place to come to fruition for an album to be released on a specific date. And that means, for example, you know, choosing the title of the album and putting the graphics into, you know, some sort of process so that they can get duplicated onto a CD. And frustratingly, in my prior projects, I really couldn't decide what the title of the album was until after I had recorded it and listened to it and fretted over it and worried about it. And so what was so different about this project from all the other ones that I've done before is that I actually knew that I wanted to call it All Is Quiet before I even started recording. And what was the original title meaning? Oh, yeah. So that's so funny. Because <laughs> Dino and I have two children who have finally reached college age where they have flown the nest. And so All Is Quiet was supposed to be about what it was like to be in an empty house with children that were grown and what, what did this next phase mean for us? You can envision us sometime in the late winter, early spring of 2019, talking about, okay, the next record is going to be all simple, acoustic. Then, you know, our kids are going off to college and full of 19, our, our youngest leaves. And then we're like, yes. And this is our, this is our sadness. And then 2020 rolled around and everyone moved back in with us. Our, our son came home from college and our daughter came home from college. And so it wasn't really quiet in the house. We were in the middle of a pandemic, just to, just to remember dates for people. They came home not because they had not like their life in college or they missed us. They came home because their schools were shut down because of the pandemic and they were here. And I have to say, speaking of shutting down, I think for me, the first three months, I kind of shut down also. I, I think that I was so stunned and worried and scared for the world that I just felt like I had nothing to say. And so suddenly all this quiet took on a whole new meaning for me. Yeah. And I think like an interesting perspective for people, you know, because there was a time the spring and summer of 2020 when some musicians were actually excited, like doing live internet broadcasts of shows. And I think there may have been a perception that for every musician who was invigorated, that like all the musicians were like, oh, now we're home, we're not touring, we're writing, we're creating. And like, and the reality is that, and this is based not just on seeing you, but on conversations we've had with a lot of our friends that for, for every three people that were like, I'm so invigorated and creative now that I'm home, there were 30 who, you know, were cowering under the bed and like, you know, why do I even bother playing, studying my instrument when I don't know when I'm going to get to play in front of people. Our, our daughter at one point, because I was, it was hard, you know, because your only access to other people at that point was through social media and we, you weren't seeing anybody. And I remember our daughter saying, mom, you know, don't be bummed out because everyone's having a different pandemic. It's not like there's like a right way or a wrong way to have a pandemic, <laughs> to experience a pandemic. And it, that kind of helped me because I was like, wow, am I the only one who just feels like, curling up on a couch and watching Netflix for the rest of my life. So Right. So 
All Is Quiet, the overall album became about that feeling, right? Yep. Of yep. being creatively muted. But, and I think that's something that is really important, is about the process of using your creativity to getting over that fear, that loneliness. Because I think there are a lot of very hopeful songs in the record. There are hopeful moments, right? Yeah. And certainly for me, I learned that I'm resilient. <laughs> I, I didn't know how resilient I was until, you know, going through that and, and really being able to kind of feel what I was feeling as it related to the world and myself and my family and, and being able to translate that into songs was a godsend. It really like helped me. For me, like that was one of the most rewarding things as a writer was to be able to translate what I was feeling into song. And yeah, and I think the other thing was that because I wasn't sure whether I was ever going to be able to perform again, there was this sense of I'm making this creative for myself. And so it was good because it was like, I don't care if people don't like it. I don't really care because this is what I had to say. I'm very grateful and lucky that I was able to say it in song. And it was enough for me at the time. I'm going to skip ahead for a second, the writing, actual writing on the album and go to the, the production. So I think it was about probably mid to late 2020 that we started the idea of producing it. And we reached out to the two guitar players that you were planning to work with, who are two people that you've worked with for a really long time because they were on your first record. And, and then to our friend, Lauren Entress, who is a wonderful producer who produced your first record, has produced the vocals on a number of your records and has mixed a number of your records. And that was a very trusted team for us. Well, exactly. I think that obviously... I've worked with Lauren on all of my projects and this one, because it felt so vulnerable, I don't think I could have gone to somebody that I didn't feel completely comfortable with because the songs really are so incredibly, well, first of all, they're so incredibly stripped bare sonically. And so as a singer, I can't hide behind a band in this. Everything is like out front. So I really needed to be able to be like, oh, this is how my voice sounds. And I needed to have somebody who helped co-produce that understood that there was a vulnerability and a fear in that. And then the second thing is that I just trust, I, I know what kind of beautiful sound Lauren is able to create. And I wanted that same lush sound for this album. And then Kevin and Duke, I, I was going to go through people one by one. So the first guitar player is Kevin Barry. Yeah. So I, I will just say something that I've told the two of them. Kevin Barry and Duke Levine right now, when they're playing together, are no question the best guitar duo in America, in whatever rock country in America. And we've been incredibly lucky that for many years, we, when they were not touring with you know, famous other musicians, we had the chance to go and see them play in the small clubs in Boston. And we've been very lucky that have been part of your records from the beginning for now 11 years. Well, so Kevin Barry was my, I had a whole career where I quit my job and went back to Berkeley as a student. And Kevin was my teacher. And I think because I was an older student when I was at Berkeley, I tended to gravitate to 
all of the professors and I became really good friends with the professors and Kevin was one of my teachers. And so I loved working with him and Dino, actually, you kept in touch with Kevin. I had him as a private instructor in the mid 2000s because he's an incredible guitar teacher. And then, you know, we ended up working together on a bunch of projects over the years. Yes, yeah, like I actually remember when we made the decision to do the record, we we're like, okay, who can we get to produce it and play on it? So I was in less with Kevin. I'm like, hey, Kevin, Sousa, this is like 2008. I asked Kevin, I'm like, hey, would you like to record a record with Susan and produce it? And Kevin is like, well, I'm not going to produce it. I'm going to call my friend Lorne to produce it. And that's how we met Lorne. And then I'm going to call my friend Duke as a second guitar player. And that's how we got introduced to Duke Levine. So Kevin, just to finish about Kevin Barry, he is a first gold session player, played with Paula Cole. I was in her touring band in the 90s. He played with, uh, he's right now the touring guitar player for Roseanne Cash when she plays with a band. He's, as we were speaking right now, he's on tour with Jackson Brown. He played with uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Peter Wolf. So an incredible guitar player, incredible lap steel player. And a lovely person. Yes. And a great hang. And like really fun and super creative and wonderful. So, and I think, you know, both Kevin and Duke are so skilled at playing nuanced parts in and around a singer-songwriter. They really understand what that is all about. And it makes it so that you feel supported and also like, it's interesting because as a lyricist and as a singer, you know, you'll write something and then to have them kind of respond musically with some beautiful part that feels like it's almost the musical conversation counterpart to what you're trying to say lyrically and melodically with your voice is just a, a, an amazing experience. And so funny on my album, on the nine songs of All Is Quiet, I realized that like, in no song did I give them a solo. I can't believe it. I had like the two best guitars in the whole wide world. And I think track number track number seven has like a mini solo. <laughs> but no, I never let them go wild. What was I thinking? But, you know, I think it really is a testament to their artistry that they allowed me to shine and they supported me really beautifully. Kevin Barry played... All the acoustic guitars, yep. or like 90% of acoustic guitars, yep. and lap seal on the record, and mandolin. And, and Duke played... Mostly electric. Mostly electric yeah. guitar, some baritone guitar. People can find the details in the album. Hint, you should buy the album. Yeah. Well, and the recording process. Can I talk about that? Yeah, let's, well, let's finish sort of giving Duke's background. Duke, incredible electric guitar player, also played with a lot of great artists recorded and tour with Mary Chapin Carpenter. He's now on tour with Bonnie Raitt. Oh my gosh, I know. He's on television. He's so fabulous. <gasps> he played with Peter Wolf with the Jay Goss Band. He's an incredible player, great human, and he's also incredibly respected for his artistry and for what he does. And I think that the two of them have played together in many situations for over 30 years, I believe. And I think they have a, an understanding of what each other does. And so uh, that made recording remotely 
with them very easy because I think they're, even though they were, we were not in the same room, I think we had a team where everybody knew each other really well and people were able to do this. Uh, you know, and it's not that recording remotely is a new thing because certainly thanks to technology, uh, sending people songs to put a part on is something that's been going on for many, many years. But I think, you know, we did everything remotely. So let's talk about the recording process. One, sorry, I want to backtrack just a moment and talk about Duke for just a second more in the sense that, so Duke is, he is such a nuanced player. He can play anything and he can play anything well. And so, you know, you have this kind of choice of every kind of possible guitar sound played well and played subtly and played with with intention and beauty. And I think I'm also very much about working with people that I really enjoy being with. And Duke, like Kevin, Duke is another like wonderful, kind, smart, thoughtful person. And I think that that was really helpful to me. You know, he's somebody who like, he's worked with famous people. He's worked with not famous people. He's not different with either one of those people. He's the same. And, and I think that I really appreciate the fact that he he treats everybody with a level of respect that is really wonderful. So just want to say, I, I love him. I love Kevin. I love Lauren. I love them all. <laughs> But so recording remotely, because we couldn't get together in real life, Kevin went down to Lauren's studio in Connecticut. So I would record a, a rough version of the song, guitar vocal, and then send it to Lauren and Kevin. And then we'd have a conversation about it on the phone. And then they would go off and record something. And then they'd send it to me. And then I would listen and I would respond if I if I heard anything different than what they had come up with. And then once that was decided, then the track was sent to Duke, who was at his house. And he would overlay kind of the textural kind of sonic candy that is in the song. And, and then it would get back to me. And then I would do the final vocal and the harmonies. And I want to talk for a second about the harmonies, because I think from my perspective, you know, something that you've been known as a lyricist and as a singer, but all your records before were, you know, had full bands on. And even though they had a lot of harmonies, I think this is the first record where 99% of the harmonies are just you. You're not using other people. And I think it's a place where, because it's only the two guitars as the vocals, the harmonies are really the third part of the orchestration. Yeah. So, you know, that's what happens when you're all by yourself in your house. <laughs> I love harmony. I hear harmony a lot. And I love kind of the interplay of voices and how that sounds. And I think you're right. It is almost like it's the third stool in the, you know, it's the third uh, leg in the stool of the song. So, you know, you had Kevin who was laying down kind of the foundation in the form of acoustic guitar. And then you had Duke who was laying down this kind of beautiful nuanced stuff over the acoustic guitar. And then my vocal and then the harmony added like all of the highs, which, you know, I didn't have a, an instrument that was playing up there. So I really like leaned into that skill, I guess, that I, that I have. I really loved putting harmony on everything. 
And and I really did. I did that in all the songs. <laughs> oh, it's a, no, some actually. No, there's one song where I didn't sing harmony on. But I had created a whole harmony bed. And then when I ended up mixing it, I pulled it all back. It was really nice because when finally this year you were able to play a release show and the record was sent out to a number of the local papers for the listing of the show. And I love the fact that the description of your show and your album in the Boston Globe said that with the help of the twin guitars of Duke Levine and Kevin Barry, she wraps its lyrical reflections in a musical blanket of shimmering beauty. You know, when you put work out, you know, you always hope that somebody who's listening actually captures what you were hoping to achieve. And I think that it was great to see that in the in, in that note, because it is really a blanket of shimmering beauty that the guitars and the voices do together. I want to start going through some of the songs and to me there's an example of how the vocals are used in an orchestration actually in the opening track Let's talk about the song All Is Quiet. As we said earlier, so the, the general metaphor of the album was the fact of what it was like to feel creatively muted. And so it's so funny because I went back and found the original version of All Is Quiet because I, I started to write it in 2019. <laughs> and it was really loud. It was, a, and I was like, oh, it's going to be a loud song called All Is Quiet. And it was like rocking. Like I, ha I found like an earlier, earlier recording. And it's so funny because when I actually wrote it, I was like, no, it has to be quiet. And then it has to build. It has to build in the sense of like the dynamics of the song have to reach a crescendo at some point. That was really important to me. So harmony wise, it, you know, if we're going to talk about that, like I, I, I put harmonies on the choruses when they come around, but then there's a moment when at the end, the final chorus where I just have this full wall of sound that, that really kind of, was in beautiful opposition to like the quietness of the song in the beginning. So the album is actually done a little bit of old school in that the order of the song is really well thought out. Yes. All is Quiet is very deliberately the opening song. Yes. For me, like, I want to say that like the song All is Quiet, there is intention in the lyric because I really felt like, is this the end for me? Is Am I never going to write another song again? Am I done? I do I have to come up with a new career? And so words like in the first line of the song, sitting vigil in this house until the morning comes. I chose sitting vigil because that's what you do when someone has died. You sit vigil. And so I was kind of sitting vigil for my creativity at the time. The chorus line goes, you know, all is quiet and so begins an end. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this, is this the end for me? And so I purposely put that track 
as the first track of the song because that was where I started. I, I love the fact that like the album begins with what I thought was an ending. Count to ten, so begins. And And then the the final song is Follow. The final song is Follow, which I wrote about, I think it was you, Dino, who said like there was this exercise where you find a picture of yourself as a young person. And instead of doing what you always do, which is like you look at a young picture of yourself and you say, what would I say to that young person? I would say, watch out for, you know, that boy that you like when you're 16, because he's going to break your heart and don't drink tequila when you're 21, you know, all those kind of like wise lessons. Instead, you kind of flip that and you ask, what could that young person say to me? And so I found this wonderful young picture of me I think I'm like five and it's Easter and I'm wearing a a really jaunty Easter bonnet and I just looked at this picture I was like that little girl is so bright and courageous and you know unafraid of making a statement unafraid of being herself and it led me to think about what it means to follow your intuition And so that's something, that's another song. So that's the last song on All Is Quiet. So it starts with an end, but it ends with following your intuition. And that is the song that I think of all the tracks has the most harmony in it. Because I wanted there to be a chorus of all of the young versions of myself. And so it was important that that be like a really full sound of, of all of the different women that I used to be supporting who I am now. She always finds the right way. She is led from within. The kiss of sun in her skin. So one could say that the album begins with an end and ends with the beginning. Yes, definitely. (laughs) There were no leading questions in this conversation. (laughs) Let's go back to the beginning. And the second song on the album is Time and Love and Gravity. Yes. So that's kind of the the more up-tempo of of the album and the up-tempo song. And that song came about because I was talking to a friend of mine who's a physicist And I learned from him that time moves slower on Earth than it does in space because of Earth's gravity. And then that friend was going through a really rough time with a breakup. And, you know, he was like, gosh, you know, it's just, I'm like 
so sad. And it's like, it's almost like I'm caught in love's gravity. Love is making time move so slowly that it hurts. And I was like, it's terrible because I was like, that's a really great song idea. Can I go write that? And he was very nice and let me go do that. So I then just wrote that song. And that's what it's about. I think one of the things that make you so wonderful is like your, your attention to detail. There's something that I actually figured out and learned about this song only a couple of months ago. And this is like well over a year since I heard some of the early versions of the, of the song and after seeing you finishing it recording. And that is that the spelling of the title, which is time plus love plus gravity, is actually intentional like that because it's meant to signify an equation. Yes. I love this. It's kind of like my musical Easter eggs. I do that a lot. So you'll also notice if you listen to the song that the space between different sections gets shorter as the song goes on because I purposely wanted time to change. So the, the distance between the verse and the verse and the verse and the chorus gets shorter as the song goes on. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Didn't know that either. <laughs> Well, and I don't think anybody notices it because it's just a subtle little thing, but it felt it felt right at the time. It's another interesting point because like having seen you mature as a songwriter, what's been interesting for me in your latest records, you know, starting really with Haunted Heart, but then your ability to have all these techniques that are actually coming in seamlessly into the song and they're not there to show that you can do a technique, but they're there because they support the song. And I think, you know, this is another example where you're not noticing somebody that is, you know, making a technical thing in the song, but it's a subtle thing that may hit you more unconsciously than consciously. When I love, for me, I love the fact that like the verb choices that I use are really important. They're intentional. And so, for instance, in Time and Love and Gravity, there is a part, part where I'm talking about the fact that the two people I'm writing about are, they're not friends, they're not enemies, they're kind of in this middle space. And the way that I say it is lost in this space between good friends and enemies. So lost in this space, lost in space. <laughs> I did that on purpose <laughs> because it's a song about space and gravity. And so, yeah. So I tried as much as I could to kind of infuse it with astronaut style language that is subtle. Nobody notices, but, but I totally enjoy the fact that I did that. <laughs> This was the end of part one of the interview. Stay tuned for part two, which will come in a few weeks. And if you're interested in time and love and gravity, I will play it at the end of the credits. Now, I want to thank you for listening to this episode. And if you enjoyed it, please find a friend who may enjoy it too and tell them that they should listen to it. If you really love the show, tell all your friends about it and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss episodes as they get released. And if you're listening on a platform that allows reviews, please leave us a rating or a review. And remember, the best review in June and July will receive a copy of Bill Principale's book, Improvisational Leaders. 
You can listen to Susan on all major streaming platforms. Go to susanmusic.com, her site, and you can find her on Instagram at Susan C Music. You can find the show online at al4ep.com with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at al4edp. On Facebook, just look for the show Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, as promised, here is Time and Love and Gravity. Thank you.